You're listening to the Senior Care Pharmacist Podcast, ASCP's journal come to life. Visit ASCP.com slash journal to read the articles and ASCP.com slash podcasts to listen to more author interviews. Welcome to the Senior Care Pharmacist Podcast. This is Donna Bartlett, your host. Today we have with us Dr. Michaela Nelson, a board-certified ambulatory care pharmacist with Baptist Health in Lexington, Kentucky. Welcome, Dr. Nelson. I'm so glad you're with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So today we're going to be speaking with Dr. Nelson regarding her publication called Use of a Deprescribing Tool in an Interdisciplinary Primary Care Patient-Aligned Care Team. This publication can be found in the January 2022 issue of the Senior Care Pharmacist Journal. So I'm just so happy to have you here, Michaela, and I'm so glad that we're able to sit and talk about deprescribing. I would love you to first tell us about yourself and the group that you worked with on this project. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that introduction. You hit the nail on the head. I am a clinical pharmacist with Baptist Health in Lexington, Kentucky, currently working in an ambulatory care clinic and endocrinology with them, and I absolutely love it. During the time of this project, I was actually in my PGY-1 residency at the Lexington VA Healthcare System, and I did go on to complete a PGY-2 residency in ambulatory care there at the Lexington VA after my PGY-1. I graduated from the University of Kentucky College of Pharmacy in 2019, and I'm Kentucky born and bred, so I've lived in Kentucky my whole life. And I love it here. And I love working with our patients here, especially our geriatric patient population throughout the state. A little bit more about the other people I worked with on this project. Tara Downs is one of the clinical pharmacy specialists at the Lexington VA. And she primarily serves in geriatrics at that facility. So she's one of our geriatric primary care pharmacists. And she also works in our home-based primary care clinics, working with patients who are homebound and receiving their primary care services from their home. So she was really able to provide us a lot of expertise and knowledge on deprescribing as this is something that she had worked to implement in our geriatric and extended care clinics prior to the implementation of this project in our primary care setting. Brent Simpkins is also a clinical pharmacy specialist there at the Lexington VA working alongside Tara in the geriatric primary care clinic. And he also spends some of his time in our standard primary care clinics as well. So he was kind of a great resource for us on both ends, working both with geriatric patients as well as our general primary care patients. Gina Puglisi is also a clinical pharmacist at the Lexington VA. She serves as a primary care pharmacist there, primarily managing disease states like diabetes, hypertension, hyperlipidemia, hypothyroidism, those sorts of things. And she was the primary care pharmacist that served alongside me through these deprescribing efforts in one of our primary care clinics there. And she's the clinical pharmacist who's on the team with the primary care provider that served as our primary care physician for the project. And she's a pleasure to work with. And then Amy Schmelzer Collier, she is our primary care physician that we worked alongside on this project. She was at the Lexington VA and a primary care clinic there during this project, but has since moved to North Carolina and is serving in primary care at a VA there. She was an excellent physician and was really on board with these deprescribing efforts 
she hopped in and, and was ready to get going as soon as we mentioned this to her. So she was a pleasure to work with as well. I had a wonderful team and this project wouldn't have been possible without all of the wonderful people that I worked with. That's great. And it, well, how wonderful to have such a caring team, caring for older adults and really focusing on deprescribing, which we know is such an important part as people age that we need to be looking at their medicines and, and starting to deprescribe as we go along. So with speaking of deprescribing, you guys came up with a tool and it's called the Vione deprescribing tool. And it really seems to reach the target areas that help with identifying medications to deprescribe. So could you tell us about this Vione method and and what it, how you use it and what it's all about? Yes, absolutely. I would love to. So this tool was actually, it was developed a few years ago out of another VA facility and has really been starting to pick up throughout other VAs, but we were one of the first VAs to really start piloting Vion. And and this article that we published here was the first time that we had kind of extended these Vion practices outside of our primarily, you know, geriatric patient population, or I should say patients who were receiving geriatric specialty care. So a lot of these patients are obviously still geriatric that we are seeing in primary care but this was the first time that we extended it to primary care versus those geriatric-specific clinics. So like you said, Vion, it's essentially one of many tools that we can use to help us in our deprescribing efforts. It's, it's really more of a methodology versus a list of medications that may be potentially inappropriate. So I think it, it does a really good job of kind of helping us through reviewing a medication list and really picking apart what's appropriate and what's not. So I'll kind of walk you through what each piece of Vione means. So the V in Vione stands for vital, and these are life-sustaining medications. So these medications should be continued. These are not medications that we're going to deprescribe. But it is important for us to monitor these medications, ensure that the dosing and the frequency is appropriate, and we're adjusting with regards to kidney and liver function, those sorts of things. So this is just kind of a key to us to make sure that everything that does need to be continued is dosed and being administered appropriately. So an example of this might be insulin in a patient with type 1 diabetes. Obviously, we're not going to stop that medication for them. They have to have that medication to survive. And then the I in Biome stands for important. So these medications are often necessary for a patient's quality of life, but it's not necessarily life-sustaining like that insulin is for our type 1 patient with, for our patient with type 1 diabetes. So for these prescriptions, you know, we should be continuing these, but using the medication that has the least side effects and is cost-effective, obviously ensuring it's dosed appropriately using the lowest effective dose, those sorts of things. So an example of an important medication might be a patient's allergy medication or their pain medication, not necessarily vital for survival, but definitely a medication that the patient has improved quality of life from taking. And then our O in Biome stands for optional. So this kind of serves to help us identify where we can consolidate medications. And so in this case, we may be reducing or stopping some medications. So a good example of this is perhaps a patient who's on three low-dose blood pressure medications. 
And so, you know, could they tolerate and could we consolidate to maybe one or two medications to help reduce their pill burden and their costs associated with their medications as well? And so, you know, that's always important to look at anytime we can. I, you know, there's tons of times I can think of in practice where I see a patient who's on four low-dose blood pressure medications and they've never tried a higher dose. So they right. could likely tolerate and we could get some of, rid of some of those unnecessary extra medications if possible. Yeah, that's very important, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. And then our N in biome stands for not indicated or treatment complete. So maybe these medications were, you know, appropriate at one point in time, but they've completed the duration of therapy that was indicated or necessary for the condition, or maybe, you know, they're just not indicated at all. And so we should consider stopping those medications. So, and this can kind of fluctuate too, as the patient's age and depending on their current health status, those sorts of things. So this might be, you know, something that may not be indicated could be maybe aspirin for primary prevention, especially once we, you know, really start seeing patients age and they're at higher bleeding risk. So those medications may not be indicated and they should be stopped. Another thing that I think of in terms of treatment complete may be like Plavix or an, a DOAC if they had been treated for a short period of time due to a DBT or a PE. Making sure those medications are stopped after they've been taking them for the appropriate therapy of time and not being continued long term if they're not indicated past a certain duration. So I think that's a really important one as well. And pharmacists can really identify those appropriate durations of therapy really well. And so I think that's a great area for pharmacists to focus on specifically and help out our other healthcare team members and make them aware of, you know, maybe what the appropriate duration would be and kind of prompt them to see if that's appropriate for discontinuation at this time. Or do, you know, or is there another reason that they may need to continue this long term? And then finally, the E in Bion stands for every medication has a specific indication or diagnosis. So it's important that everyone on the healthcare team, including the patient, is aware of what they're taking this medication for. And if we don't know, we need to find out. And if (laughs) if we find out there is no true indication, then we should consider stopping it. Or if they were, you know, prescribed something in the past and maybe it's not really an appropriate use for the medication, those sorts of things. We should really be analyzing that and stopping or reducing those medications or changing it where appropriate. So kind of one thing that comes to mind for me is benzodiazepines. I feel like in the past those were prescribed for all sorts of things like PTSD and prescribed long-term for anxiety. And that's not always appropriate or indicated. We know now that we have better options to manage those conditions. So kind of taking a look at that and seeing, you know, is there a true indication for this medication at this point in time? Another one may be like PPIs, like omeprazole. Maybe a patient's being prescribed this or maybe they're just buying it over the counter. And we know that those can come with some risk. And if there's not really a true indication for it, maybe we could use a little bit safer medication in those instances. So you've given us already so many great examples and talked about so many medicines already. And as we know, 
it can really vary for from patient to patient. And then also what's important for patients too, what's their individual quality of life and needs and, you know, what are their cost barriers, if you will, and what's the lowest effective dose for that one person. So these are all things that are really individualized. And even in your results, you showed that there were just so many medicines that could or or did actually fit one of these parameters. And it was quite an array and not necessarily a big standout for particular things that we might be thinking about. So I just love the idea that this really is a very individualized process for each person. And that's not just some blanket approach of just trying every single, a certain medication that just should not be used for anybody. So could you just take us a little bit more through some of those findings and in just the fluctuation of it all and the the array of all the medications? Yes, absolutely. Like you said, I mean, de-prescribing is not black and white. And I think (laughs) Biome does a really great job of helping us individualize that to the patient a little bit more than what some of the tools that we've relied on are used in the past. And those are still, you know, a lot of those other tools are still great tools that we can rely on and use as a reference, but it's not always a one shoe fits all type of thing. So that's what I really love about the Viome tool is it does kind of push us to think about the patient as a whole and really assess their medications on a deeper level in terms of dosing and frequency and taking into account all of their comorbidities, those sorts of things. So I think our our findings really illustrate that point as well. Like you said, there was a lot of different medications that were deprescribed and it wasn't necessarily medications that you would commonly think of as a PIM or a potentially inappropriate medication. The most common medication that we, or medication class, I should say, that we were able to deprescribe were our vitamins and supplements. And so that's not necessarily something that you would think of when you're thinking about de-prescribing or inappropriate medications, especially in the elderly. But oftentimes, you know, there was no true indication for these medications, or maybe they had completed the duration of therapy for an indicated supplement, and they really had no other compelling reasons to be on the medication once, you know, their levels were stable and normal or maybe even high. So kind of some things that are coming to mind for me or vitamin B12 and vitamin D, things that we do have evidence for supplementing. But if patient doesn't really have any compelling comorbidities that would require their use or be indicative of their use and their levels are normal and or high and stable, you know, maybe we can get rid of that medication and obviously still keep an eye on what their labs are doing, monitor those serum levels. And if they start to drop, absolutely add that back. But if it's been stable for many years, maybe we we try to pull them off that medication to help decrease their pill burden and their cost. And kind of to echo that, really our most common reason for deprescribing was not indicated or treatment complete. And that was by a pretty significant amount. Obviously, we didn't do any you know statistical analysis, but when you're looking at the charts and things like that, that was by far the most common reason that we deprescribed and the most frequent recommendation that we made as a pharmacy team to the provider as well. That's great. Yeah. So that kind of echoes what I was saying earlier too about pharmacists are really in a great position to identify when those medications may may no longer be appropriate. Great. And I guess another major 
discontinuation that we saw that kind of fell into this as well that I would like to bring to light. And maybe I don't know that we highlighted it as, as much in the manuscript, but we actually met with a patient as a pharmacy team who is previously prescribed a oral chemotherapeutic agent. And that was left on their profile months after they had actually completed their treatment. And it still had refills and things like that on it, on the prescription. So obviously, we reached out to the provider and to the oncologist, all those sorts of things to make sure that it truly needed to be discontinued. And it did. I mean, the notes clearly, you know, had stated that the patient had completed therapy. So that was kind of one of our big discontinuations as well, that had we not sat down and had a med review with the patient, gone through their chart, gone through all their history, you know, that could have accidentally got refilled at any point in time. And the patient may not have paid attention and started taking it or, you know, whatever the case. And that could have led to harm. Obviously, a big expense as well. It was a very expensive medication. Yeah. And again, that may not be something that's listed as a potentially inappropriate medication when you're when you're looking at some of those other references. But we were able to identify that through our Vion medication review. Wow, that's great. So yeah, all these things that, you know, can be easily restarted, shall we say, especially if there's refills remaining. So you also mentioned in your yeah. findings that there were some cost savings, but I'm also thinking that there's also a lot of time and effort that goes into doing these reviews in the pharmacist and the interdisciplinary group themselves and the cost involved with the program. So do you see that there's an equalizing, if you will, between the cost savings that eventually comes through when there was probably some upfront cost with the pharmacist time and that being a little lopsided at the beginning? Yeah. Yeah. So we, we did assess our cost savings through this project. And I think we saved about 20, roughly 22,000 was our annualized cost avoidance. And this project just lasted for six months. So hopefully that would have been doubled if we had completed this project over a whole year. And that was just with one primary care team, which is pretty significant. But you're exactly right. We did have a pharmacist involved, myself as a pharmacy resident, other members of the team providing clinical support, our primary care provider. We all have salaries, obviously, that the facility had to pay us. And that's quite expensive to spend the time that we did with these patients. And it was quite a extensive time period, probably roughly an hour and a half, probably with each patient from start to finish from the time we chart reviewed, did the medication review and wrote up all of our recommendations and implemented those recommendations. It's a pretty lengthy period of time and and quite expensive for the healthcare system. But I agree. I think there definitely is a, a balance that probably comes into play. We didn't necessarily assess that, but I think we could all infer that by discontinuing some of these medications, I believe we absolutely minimized adverse drug reactions and dangerous situations that could have happened had these reviews not been performed that could have led to hospitalization or increased falls, increased emergency room visits, any number of those things that are are very expensive to not only to the not only to the patient, but to the healthcare system as well. So while it may seem like an expensive process, I think the value to the patient probably couldn't put, you know, a number on that. But 
you know, I think all of the other things that it potentially prevents from happening is a huge cost savings that would be worth analyzing and comparing, you know, two groups of patients as well, even though I don't have specific numbers for that. Sure. Yeah. But it is. And and there probably is a time and you brought up some things too. you know, less adverse events and less hospitalizations. Those are all big things that really can be very expensive for people. And so it's probably even more of a savings if you (laughs) think about it versus just the cost of the meds necessarily that are being saved. So there's big, big savings that can definitely occur with deprescribing. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Our cost reduction (laughs) only included the cost of the medications. So. Sure. So you mentioned, or it was mentioned in the in the study, that this Vione tool that's been developed and used, and I think it's just like I said, so targeted. It is a tool that can be used for prescribers that are not necessarily trained in geriatrics or that really have the specialty, if you will, in de-prescribing. What are your thoughts in this? It seems that, oh, people shouldn't be on medications that are no longer necessary. But how do we make de-prescribing more mainstream? Is there anything you see that needs to happen in the medical training of this interdisciplinary group that oversees medicines? Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think that deprescribing is really something I remember talking a lot about in school. And, you know, I just graduated a few years ago. And it's something that I didn't really know a whole lot about until I got involved with this project. And honestly, deprescribing is kind of the opposite of what we're taught in school. (laughs) You know, we go to school and we learn how to prescribe and what medications are used to treat certain conditions. And oftentimes in healthcare, we kind of have a more is better mentality. And it's, really easy to fall into the prescribing cascade as well, where we may be treating side effects of medications with another medication. And, you know, that can continually compound. And then it gets to the point where nobody knows why why they're taking this medication. And so I think that's something that we really need to be more careful of. And I think it's just going to take a shift in our mindset of healthcare providers, because it's really quite opposite of what we've all learned and what we're accustomed to. And I'll be the first to admit, it wasn't necessarily easy to formulate a lot of these recommendations and areas for de-prescribing at first. And especially as a pharmacist, too, you're like, oh, I don't want to offend the provider for something that they prescribed and thought was necessary. But, you know, as I'm reviewing, you know, I don't really think this is indicated. I think that's tricky at first, but it definitely, you know, the more you do it and the more you kind of stay in that mindset, much easier it becomes. And now that's kind of where my mind goes first. Now, when I'm reviewing medications with patients, like what is this medication being used for? Is this appropriate? Could we consolidate some of these? They're on a lot of things that are at a really low dose, those sorts of things. So I think it's a shift in our mentality and I don't think it's going to come easy, but I also don't think it requires a lot of extra training. I mean, I think we, as pharmacists, this pharmacy students, as even as providers, nurses, all those things, I think we all have the knowledge and expertise to implement these things from the general training that we've received in our schooling and the experiences we've had in practice. Because, I mean, we understand what these therapies are for and what the potential side effects are and what the warnings are. So it's just a matter of sitting down with the patient and 
and taking the time to identify, you know, which medications are are still appropriate. And I think it's a very fluid process as well, because what's appropriate now may not be appropriate in a year or in three years or five years. And, you know, what the patient doesn't need now, maybe they do need that medication in the future. So it's something that we constantly have to reassess with patients. Exactly. But, yeah. I have to agree with that in regards to it always needs to, needs to be revisited. It's not something that is yeah. just one and done. Another thing to keep in mind when going back to the training, we only spent about 30 minutes, maybe a little less with our primary care provider to kind of review this biome process and what our goals were for the project and kind of review deprescribing and what that was going to look like. So that 30 minutes is not a, not a very long time in the grand scheme of things. So I think just with more discussion and bringing more light to deprescribing and the potential benefits, and, you know, we really don't have a lot of known harms with deprescribing. So I think just highlighting it more in the literature and, and kind of bringing it more into focus is really sure. all we, I think all we have to do to make this more, you know, the standard of care or mainstream. So we're running out of time, but I want to ask you one more quick question before we wrap up. I always like to think about the students and new practitioners and just what words of wisdom might you have if somebody wanted to start out using Vion or introducing deprescribing into their practice? Do you have a words of wisdom for that? Yes, absolutely. So I think one thing that we did that was really beneficial for us is we kind of started low and went slow, <laughs> as we often say with medication. So I think as a healthcare facility, going all in all the way all at once might be too much. So I think starting something like this in a single primary care team with a just a, a small group of practitioners and kind of seeing how it goes and learning what works for your team and your facility before implementing more widespread is, is really beneficial and, and kind of helped us realize, you know, what we can do better when training others to do this. So that's one thing that I would recommend. I have a few other things too, if we've got time. If you can bullet them, sure. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So I'd also say, you know, there's a lot of different tools out there to help with deprescribing and there's no one gold standard. So choose the tool and the method that works best for you and your team and adapt that as you go along to ensure that, you know, you're being as successful as possible and doing what works for you. And then finally, to any new pharmacist or pharmacy student, don't be afraid to make the recommendations to deprescribe. It can be daunting at first, but I think the discussions with the team that'll come from it are, are really beneficial and the discussions with the patient. And I think we can all grow from that and learn from that, even if the recommendation isn't accepted. So just don't be afraid to try. Michaela, those are great words of wisdom. And I just love how you've ended this for us is, you know, we've, we've got to make the recommendations. We've got to have the conversations. So that's perfect. Thank you so much. And so today I would just so very much like to thank Dr. Michaela Nelson for joining us today. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. Yeah, thank you. And so just to recap, we have today with us Dr. Michaela Nelson. She and her team worked on a publication, use of a deprescribing tool in an 
Interdisciplinary Primary Care Patient-Aligned Care Team. This can be found in the January 2022 issue of the Senior Care Pharmacist Journal. This is Donna Bartlett, your host, and thank you for joining us and thank you for all that you do, our audience, for thank you for listening. Thank you for helping people in our communities and helping our older adults stay wise and well. So that's all for today. And thank you so much for joining us. This is Donna Bartlett with the Senior Care Pharmacist Podcast. Take care, everybody. You're listening to the Senior Care Pharmacist Podcast, ASCP's journal come to life. Visit ASCP.com slash journal to read the articles and ASCP.com slash podcast to listen to more author interviews.